Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is establishing trust in a group. We have a terrific expert today who's going to share his thoughts with us. It's Ty Kern, who's Executive Managing Director for National Production at SunWest Mortgage. Previously, Ty was at HomePoint, Emory Financial, and City, and also AB and AMRO. Hi, Ty. Hi, Pat. How are you? Good. Well, this is a great time for this topic. So, but before we get to it, let's talk about, I guess, how did you get into managing and share with everyone your career path? Sure, sure. Well, it's not necessarily always the best path, but it's the path that our industry has chosen the most, which is they usually, we usually promote top producers, don't we? Right. <laughs> and uh, that's, how I, that's how I got here. I, I was a, a top producing uh, wholesale rep uh, in my early parts of my career and, and took on my first you know, region, uh, gosh, now uh, over 20 years ago in 1998 or 1999. I actually went back into sales when I joined Amy and Amro in her first and uh, uh, was the top producing salesperson there for a couple of years and then uh, uh, took on my own uh, region and group uh, there in 2003. And I've been uh, in a manager's role ever since uh, June of 2003. Well, that, that's a terrific and typical story, you're correct, about how people get into managing. But what's the best advice that you received about managing? And was there any books that might have been something that you go back to? Yeah, you know, uh, well, first of all, on the book front, I, you know, there's many, many good books out there. There's some oldies but goodies, like Good to Great, um, E-Myth Revisited. You know, I really love Sam, Sam Carpenter's book about, uh, you know, Work the System. Mm-hmm. Um, but most recent, I really enjoyed uh, Simon Sinek's work, both in his sure. TED Talk books. You know, Start With Why was a great one for me. And we've mm-hmm. used that uh, used that in the last two organizations we built. And his his latest book, which is Leaders Eat Last, um, is a great uh, representative of, you know, in my, from my seat, being a, being a uh, servant leader, I think, which is, you know, so important and uh and uh, to building organizations in today's world you know it used to be i grew up in the carrot and stick and uh, mostly with it mostly with the stick sort of management uh deal back in the you know 90s and that's just not the way to run a railroad today i don't think that's really a good point so what would you say is the secret sauce of managing that i think most people miss what's kind of your impressions uh you know it's interesting i I think uh, a couple of things i think you know i think you really fail if you don't understand and really value people and mm-hmm. you don't embrace that servant's role. Like I really view myself as working for everybody else. There's, you know, a couple thousand people in my organization and I view I work for them, not, you know, that they work for me. I think that's important. You absolutely have to value people. And I, I think the other thing is, is that when you start to try and delegate and build your organization, a lot of folks will try to try to give people responsibility and accountability, but then they don't give them authority. You can't be responsible and accountable if you don't have the authority to do the job. So I'm always very careful when I craft my positions and we start to scale an organization that whatever I make somebody responsible and accountable to, I give them the authority to get that job done. I think that's the biggest thing in my career that's lacked. And when I, when I was a manager early, I didn't see it. Well, someone says, hey, you know, Ty, I want you to grow this part of the country or grow, grow this channel. I'm always very careful to say, okay, well, then I'm going to need, I'm going to be responsible, accountable to these to this strategy or these tactics, 
then I'm going to need this type of authority to get that done. That's an interesting point. <laughs> Obviously, you've had other opportunities where, in other words, you've been held responsible but don't have the authority. Yeah, it, it's uh, responsibility and accountability without authority just does not work. It and does what not. it does, it, it creates a bunch of people coming back to you and you you never really let go and scale. So what is the, what's the managing practice that, Ty, that you've gone back over and over with over all these years of managing, not just wholesale, but also in retail? <clears throat> in terms of just principle? Sure. Uh, principles that I use. Sure. Sure. Uh, in my career, for whatever reason, and maybe everybody's that's why I'm in our in our business, but I've always found myself in where I'm I'm only having fun sort of in growth phases. <laughs> you know, when you're growing an organization, in particular, my last 10 years of retail, it's, that's true. And I think when you're growing and scaling, it's really understanding the metrics of the business. And I, I call it getting the plumbing right. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, I want to do a billion dollars, right? a month in mortgages in a certain area or in a channel, but you got to plummet. You've got to understand, you got to work yourself, start really with what current state is, what assumptions you have to make. And then you really have to build the plan around, you know, how many salespeople do I need? How many sales managers do I need? How many locations do you need? Of course, you know, how are you going to get that business, whether you're going to market for it or you're going to have distributed retail or whatever channel you're going to use. You really have to go position by position and understand what it is you're signing up for and, of course, work the budget from the plumbing. And I think a lot of a lot of mortgage companies especially just make the mistake of, you know, rushing head into something and they crash and burn. If you don't plan it right and plumb it, get that plumbing right, then it's not going to last and it's going to be a lot of work and you're going to spend a lot of money. So I, I guess to tie that back into, I really go after the metrics on the business of what we're going to need and have to have in order to get from point A to point B and what those steps are going to be. And then once again, when you're scaling like that, you've got to give them the authority uh, uh, to handle the responsibility and accountability you're going to hold them to. Getting that right, like day one, is important to me. And I've done this now, as you know, mm-hmm. um, on the retail side, three times from you know pretty much zero to say the three billion mark or so. And it looks like uh, we're going we're to surpass that here at Southwest in the first couple of years. So but you got to get the plumbing right. Are you surprised? And I think a lot of what you are saying is that sometimes even at the managerial level, they don't really understand the metrics. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely have to understand. Um, well, first of all, the most important thing is you got to understand current state, right? What, right. what are the metrics you're doing today? And, and, and is what you're saying so aspirational that it's not doable? And I also always put out there, here's real, here's what reality looks like. Here's aspirational, you know, as a stretch goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't understand current state, you don't understand your current cost to produce, you don't understand, you know, what you're getting out of every underwriter, processor, loan coordinator, loan officer, branch manager. If you don't have all that down, how can you chart a course for what, you know, good or great looks like three months, six months, a year, two years from now? Well, I agree with you 100%. And one of the surprising things that I see all the time at senior levels is that I don't under I don't believe or see them understanding the numbers. And so it's interesting that you would think at well, those you know, levels, you know, you would. Well, you know, well, well here's what's interesting. Uh, in my last couple uh, situations, really the money behind the organizations were largely, you know, Wall Street money, either hedge fund money or private equity. You got to be very careful because someone will say, hey, let's deploy a couple hundred million bucks in cash, right? That sounds awesome. 
except for the fact that, that, that you owe the VIG on that money, number one. Number two, you know, you're not going to get a lot of help. They're, they're looking to us to be experts and, you know, say exactly how you're going to deploy and how you're going to get the return on the capital. And once again, if you don't start at, you know, what current state looks like and what needs to be fixed in current state to launch from and then have those metrics right, realistically, it's okay to throw down aspirational, but you've got to make sure you've got that plumbing right and the structure right and you know your cost today so you know what you got to hit. A lot of a lot of companies get saved in our business by by revenue. You know, a little boom comes in and, you know, it covers up a lot of bad decisions and a lot of bad processes. And I'm always very, very careful. Uh, I think you know you know me well enough to know that I'm a, I'm a process guy. I'm always right. very careful to make sure we have the process. I agree with you 100%, which leads us to the topic today about establishing trust in a group, especially when we're in certainly the circumstances that are our everyday life in mortgage banking today. So talk about your experience of how do you establish trust in a group? Uh, once again, I, I think people want to be, want to feel important. They want to know that their leaders are working for them and they want to know, and, and they want information and transparency in today's world. Right? And I, you know, it's, it, I, I would have answered this question very differently uh, six weeks ago, Pat. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that. So I'm here to tell you that old dogs can learn new new tricks. You know, this whole COVID thing started going down. I, I was, you know, pretty typical. I've always, you know, not really liked or advocated meetings for the sake of meetings. You know, let's meet if we if there's something to say or do. But I wanted people out, you know, doing the job versus constantly reporting back. Right. What's happened in this, you know, immediate crisis is because people were isolated and likely afraid of not only their job, but their health and all that. I decided early on in this to start to get together my entire team, off sales, everybody nationally three times a week. And previously, previously it was once a month. Obviously there's lots of information. So it starts out informationally, but I, I really, we sort of had a mantra that we wanted to say, which was, Hey, but our number one concern is to you know, take care of our our family uh, at home and our work family. Number two is to continue, you know, to have business continuity during this crisis and come out of this uh, able to take advantage of uh, whatever the market opportunities are there. And then three, be a beacon of hope in your community and a voice of reason because there's a lot of misinformation. What's new in the industry? What's new with us within that industry? And then we share best practices and just going. And this is a long way of telling you that I have never been this present i've always communicated well and made sure everybody had the information via email and we'd go we'd cover it and uh, through with our regional meetings and things but i think our job satisfaction and people have appreciated that so much that i'm i'm going to get together more often i'm going to be more visible and transparent to the entire group because it's been so appreciated and with such a large group of our people now working from home these are large groups but they're all in different locations see everybody's face you know talk a little bit have a little bit of fun about whatever their background in their house is or whatever funky background putting on there and you know having everybody go through that that just that cohesiveness and constantly getting uh, getting together and taking away that isolation and fear feeling really help our organization you know i would i would describe our our job satisfaction before this, you know, maybe a solid B, you know, B minus 80%, something like that. And I would say, you know, as we come towards the tail end of this crisis, hopefully the tail end of this crisis, you know, it's closer to 95, 96%. Even at, I even had, you know, recruits jumping on our calls because some organizations hadn't spoke to their people at all. Right. And here we were getting the whole team together three times a week. And then I, my immediate reports, my leadership team, 
I was getting together every day to discuss sort of the topics of the day. And it changed me and the way I thought just by being more out there, more accessible. I mean, my, t- my attendance, my monthly meetings was maybe, you know, 70% of the company would show uh, on these conference calls. Uh, my Zoom meetings every other day and my, my manager meetings are near 100% attendance every single day. And we're going on six weeks. I, and it was just sort of a gut feeling, Pat. I don't know what made me do it. I just felt like, man, everyone's probably kind of freaked out. I mean, let's face it, after fear and isolation, all we're missing is, uh, you know, waterboarding, waterboarding and we're, uh, you know, got a hotel in like one time a day. That's true. So from the standpoint of like mechanically, how how long are these meetings and is it live Q&A or talk about how you conduct them? Yeah, you know what? It's really kind of repeating our mantra, which I, which I told you, and then going into what's new in the industry is what are we hearing? What's the information or misinformation out there? And then what are we doing uh, different or better or worse potentially? And then uh, open Q&A on, uh, we started this uh, little uh, thing called uh, nothing but good news and people are sharing what's going on with their community and uh, what's going on uh, both work and personally. And then we get into best practices and things that are working and transactional things and people are rolling stuff out, asking questions about, you know, things and live. And, I, you know, sometimes these meetings, believe it or not, with 100 people on them, go for 15, 20 minutes and, and we're done. So, uh, sometimes they've gone, you know, an hour and a half depending on what was going on early in the crisis. There were a lot longer. There was a lot more information, a lot more questions uh, now. Um, and, I, and I told myself and my team that I'll continue to do them if, if the value is being felt by our, by our team. And so far, it's been that way. I, I would imagine that in a normalized environment, you know, I'd probably scale these back to maybe once a week to start. And, and, but, I, but I don't think I'll ever go back to monthly. I, I, I've enjoyed so much the, the interaction so much that I think at the very minimum, I'm good. I would do twice a month, mm-hmm. uh, a mid-month check-in maybe at the end of the month. But uh, I, I think probably for, for the foreseeable future, uh, at least four times a month. So what is the feedback from your sales leaders, your regionals or divisional people? In other words, what are they conducting part of it? Or are they just as an attendee? An attendee and the, and the every other day stuff. Um, they're also having their own meetings uh, to to vet out, you know, you know more, you know, tactical things going on in the street. You know, I'm also meeting with them daily. I I'm using really what happens is the daily meeting with my regionals is sort of a roll up to, hey, look, this is what I think we're going to talk about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something? Is there a way you you know? Is there something you want me to say about this, or is there something that you know a certain group is going to you know be more sensitive to? But the bottom line is, is I, we're not really filtering the information either. We're saying, hey, look, this is what's being said, and this is our position on it. And, and I just want to make sure that I'm getting all the topics out there that people are concerned about. So I, I believe the regionals are pretty happy with it as well. And as a result, I think, you know, all of our people right down to a salesperson or a loan coordinator working in a branch, you know, a thousand miles from me, um, I, I feel like they're informed and supported. And I feel like they feel like they're informed and supported, which is the most important thing. Well, I mean, our time has flown by really quickly, and you really have shared a lot of great insights. So in the last few minutes, if you can maybe summarize for the listeners today what you have found that is now working for establishing trust in a group. Like I said, I I think really being a servant leader, embracing that concept for me, that's always worked. Um, I think remember when you're scaling and moving um, and and trying to grow an organization, make sure that if you're going to make anybody responsible or accountable, that you give them the authority to do the job that you've, that you're going to hold them responsible and accountable to. Um, 
I would always place uh, more value on people and the people within the process and make sure that that's uh, permeates your entire organization. Well, I want to thank you, Ty, for really sharing your thoughts. I mean, they've been great. And I want to welcome everyone to listen to our next podcast. Thanks a lot, Ty.